Last time I was with you, we're in Ezekiel chapter 37, and we are still in Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to take a little different attack to it tonight than I did uh, two weeks ago. You know, the Word of God is so powerful and rich. There's so much that you can get out of any one verse or any one chapter, and Ezekiel 37 is certainly like that. You know, over the years, as, as we've had, I'm sure you've heard different preachers preach, let's say, John 3.16. And you hear one preacher preach John 16, it'll be a certain kind of message. Somebody else preaches it. It's the same passage, but they have a little different idea, different stories about it or whatever. So that's what we're doing tonight. We're taking the same passage we looked at two weeks ago and taking a little different look at it. It's uh, Last time, I looked at it more from a standpoint of application to individuals. Tonight, we're going to see God's big picture for the nation of Israel as we look at Ezekiel chapter 37. So I've entitled our Bible study tonight, Israel in the Last Days. If you're familiar with the book of Ezekiel, and I know a lot of you have been previously and uh, are getting more familiar with it as we go through it, you know that chapters 37, 38, and 39 are some of the most strategic and important uh, chapters in the entire book of Ezekiel. Uh, 37 is, of course, the Valley of Dry Bones and so on, 38 and 39 are about Gog and Magog. So we'll get to that next week, Lord willing, and the week after that. But uh, tonight we're looking at uh, Israel in the last days. This is actually part one. I don't think I put that in your title. But the next two weeks are really a continuation of Israel in the last days. So we're going to see uh, what uh, we can learn tonight that this passage will teach us about that. Now, before we read, let me uh, ask you to bow with me in prayer one more time. Lord, we thank you for the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And we are grateful tonight for the privilege and opportunity to be together. Thank you for your word. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so tonight we receive your word. We want to hear what your spirit is saying to our hearts tonight. And we pray, dear God, that you'll anoint the preaching of your word, anoint the listening of your word and to your word. And Father, thank you for the privilege of being a part of this wonderful church and part of these Wednesday night services. And we commit this time to you and we pray in Jesus' sweet name. And all God's people said, amen. All right. We're going to look, uh, first of all, have your outline handy there. And uh, Israel in the last days, point number one. What, happened, what will happen with Israel? A dead nation coming back to life. A dead <clears throat> nation coming back to life. That's what we see in the first 14 verses here of 37, the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. What he meant was, only you know. I, I, don't, I don't know. Only you know. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you, and bring flesh upon you, cover, uh, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. 
So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. And the word breath also means wind, uh, and it means spirit. God is saying to Ezekiel here, Preach to the wind, preach to the breath, so that wind, that breath, that spirit will come up upon them and into them, and prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four breaths, or from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Now, this scene is magnificent, isn't it? Here God gives uh, Ezekiel this marvelous vision, and he takes him to this valley, and the valley is full of dry bones, bones that have been out in the sun so long. They're uh, they're extremely dry. They're bleached. uh, They're separated from each other, and the bones are just everywhere, and Ezekiel doesn't really know what to make of it. God asks him this question, Ezekiel, can these bones live? It's obvious that these bones are dead. They, they belong to people who at one time were alive, but now they're dead. So Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can they live again? And uh, Ezekiel says, I, I don't know, Lord, only you know. So God says, Here, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach to these bones. Now, just think about that for a second. Here you are in a, basically a cemetery, uh, and, and God says to you, preach to these bones who are in this cemetery, and preach to them what I tell you to preach to them. So Ezekiel didn't even hesitate. He didn't pause for one moment. He said, I did as I was commanded, and I preached as the Lord told me to preach, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And then I remind you that there's power in the word of God. God's Word is alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And therefore, when Ezekiel preaches the Word of God, anointed by the Spirit of God, these bones do what Ezekiel tells them to do. Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I'll put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. And then I prophesied as I was commanded, verse 7, and the, the bones started coming together. And you know the old wonderful song about that, the foot bone connected to the ankle bone and all of that. And here it is uh, in that passage where all of this is actually happening. These bones are rattling and then the sinews and the joints and the, the ligaments come together and then skin covers these bones. But there's no life in these bones. So God says, Ezekiel, call to the wind, call to the breath, call to my spirit and First he's preached to dead bones, and now he's preaching to the wind. And he says, wind, come into these bodies, into these dead bodies, and bring them life. There was no life in them until the Spirit of God came in. And there was no life in them until there was breath in their bodies. Just like Adam, when he was created by God in the Garden of Eden, he was a body that God fashioned out of the dust of the ground, but then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. That's what's happening here. God is breathing into their bodies, and they are becoming human again. They're becoming people. They've got the breath of God. They've got the life of God in them, and they stood upon their feet. And he says here in verse 10, an exceedingly great army. And then he explains what's going on to Ezekiel. He says to to him, he said to me, verse 11, Son of man, 
These bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Here is God's explanation of what he had just told Ezekiel the prophet to do. He says these bones represent, this is the entire nation of Israel. And when he said entire nation, he was speaking of that divided kingdom of both Judea or Judah and Israel or Ephraim, the northern kingdom. All of these bones are the whole house of Israel. And I'm going to bring them together one day. I'm going to bring them back to their land and they're going to live in their land in peace. Now, that prophecy, and we know every word of God is true, and every prophecy that was ever made in either the Old Testament or the New Testament either has already been fulfilled or will be fulfilled. So this prophecy that God gave to Ezekiel concerned a time in the future for those who were alive at that time. He said, I'm going to bring you back into Israel. Well, they were in Babylon at that time. They were in Babylonian captivity at that time. And eventually, they did go back into Judea. At least some of them did. Of the many thousands who left Babylon, or rather who left Judea and Jerusalem over the course of some 20 years, give or take, from 605 B.C. to 586 B.C., uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in three different waves, took the Jewish people from uh, Judea over to Babylon. Thousands of them went, and 70 years later, only about 40,000 returned. So it was not the entire nation of Israel that returned to Jerusalem and Judea when they were allowed to do that. The kingdom was divided uh, after Solomon died, do you remember David was the, uh, was the second king of Israel? Actually, Saul uh, the, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin was the first one. David consolidated the kingdom. And then after he died, Solomon, his son, became king. After Solomon died, the kingdom split. There was the northern and southern kingdom. And they were never together again after that. Uh, some 150 years or so or 200 years after that, the northern kingdom disappeared into the Assyrian place because of their idolatry. The, the Assyrians came and carried them off. And then and after that happened, about 150 years later, uh, Babylon came and uh, took the, the uh, Jewish people in Jerusalem over to Babylon. And they stayed there for 70 years until the first group came back. And it was like I said, about 40,000 of them that came back. They rebuilt the temple, but it was never as beautiful as it had been before. The first temple that Solomon built was magnificently beautiful. The second temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah was not nearly as beautiful as that first temple was. But people have said from that time on that this prophecy 
uh, either was fulfilled then or it won't be fulfilled at all. That God, that nobody knows who the Jews are anymore. They've been scattered all over the world and therefore there's no way that they could ever come back into their land. Well, there's a Greek word for that uh, to describe that kind of idea and that is what? Baloney. You know that word well. Uh, God knows every person, doesn't he? He knows every heart. He knows our ancestry. He knows who we are. He knows where we're from. He knows where we're headed. And so it's no problem for God to know today who are the Jews who are alive in this world. And the Jewish people have been going back to Jerusalem and to Israel in droves now for many, many years. Uh, after, uh, after the Jewish people went back to Jerusalem and Judea, uh, and then Herod came along, and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was, had his earthly ministry, born of a virgin, lived, died, rose, and, and went back to the, uh, to the right hand of the Father. Then 30, uh, 40 years after all of that happened, Jerusalem fell. The, the temple that Herod had built was totally destroyed. Uh, there's only the western wall and, and a few other things that are there in Jerusalem now. Uh, that was there back 2,000 years ago. A lot of artifacts and so on, but as far as anything much left of a temple, there's the Temple Mount and the Western Wall. But the, the temple itself was destroyed, and it has not been rebuilt as of now. And so when people talk about this passage and others like it that say that the uh, Israelites are going to go back into their land before 1948 especially, People would say, and I've read commentaries that were written before that time, who would say that this, this prophecy uh, is not going to be fulfilled, it's not fulfilled, or so on, but, uh, or it will be sometime in the future, we just don't know when. Well, in 1948 was when the nation of Israel became a nation again. And this, I believe, started God's uh, clock, prophetic clock, uh, to give us the end time, the end days of the nation of Israel, and we're seeing prophecy after prophecy fulfilled as a result of what happened in 1948. By the way, they are celebrating even today in Israel. May of 1948 was the time when Israel became a nation. There was a lot of history that went into that. I won't take time to go over that with you tonight, but, uh, but they are celebrating even today uh, the uh, constitution of Israel as a nation that came about uh, just three years after the end of World War II. So the Jewish people have had this homeland, but, but even before that, back in uh, the early 1880s, there was a movement called the Zionist movement, and the Jews in certain parts of the world uh, got their uh, heads together and decided that they wanted to move back to Israel. And so, or, or many of them to move to Israel. They'd never lived there, but they wanted to move to Israel. And so that started the migration of Jews to Israel. And at that time, the land, uh, it was called Palestine at that time, uh, the land was basically deserted. Uh, there was very few people living there. And uh, it was, uh, it was uh, really not a desirable place to live. But these Jews wanted to reclaim their homeland, knowing the Scripture uh, from the Old Testament, that God 
gave this land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they wanted to go back there. So starting about 1882 or so, Jews started moving back to Israel. And then at the end of World War II, there were about 600,000 Jews who were living in Israel at the time that the United Nations and our, our President Harry Truman cast the deciding vote to, uh, to give Israel the status of nationhood, and it was called Israel. There was some question at the time what it would be called, but it's been called Israel ever since then. And since that time, there have been waves and waves of immigration where Jews have returned to Israel. But it's even more pronounced now uh, than it has been in the past. Let me give you some stats to, de to demonstrate that. In, um, in 2009, there were 16,000 Jews from all over the world who did what they call an aliyah, and that's spelled A-L-I-Y-A-H, aliyah or aliyah. And that is a word which means going up or going back up, which means a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to stay there and live. And the uh, government in Israel actually passed laws uh, to encourage Jews to come back to Jerusalem and Israel, and they've been coming back. And, and 2009, 16,000 Jews came. 2019, just 10 years later, twice that number came, 35,000, more than twice that number. It was estimated that in the year 2021, just last year, somewhere around 90,000 Jews returned to Israel, and it's predicted that between now and 2026, another 250,000 Jews are going to be returning to Israel. So God is stirring His people, His chosen people, to leave wherever they are, and these people are coming from all over the world. A large number right now are coming from Ukraine and Russia because they don't want to be among the, you know, the war that's going on, part of that war. They want to get to Israel. Some of them who got there right away after the war started had had their, uh, their uh, applications in before that. But even now, there are thousands and thousands, uh, almost every day, if not uh, uh, weekly, certainly, who are coming to Israel. In fact, the government there, and they've had an open-door policy about that for years and years and years. They want Jews to come back to populate the nation of Israel. They, the government will help Jews to come there. There are organizations that will pay for a one-way flight. If you're going to immigrate to Jerusalem or to Israel, they'll pay a lot of those expenses, including your flight, to get there. They'll, they'll help you find housing. But there are so many who are coming now that uh, the government is concerned that uh, they're not going to be able to provide housing and all of that that they need to, uh, but they're, they're working on it. So what I'm saying is this. Let's think about this number. Think about this projection from, uh, from 16,000 to 35,000 to 90,000 to 250,000. That is a lot of people who are coming to Israel. And why are they coming? They're coming in fulfillment of the prophecy of Ezekiel and Isaiah and other prophets who said, in the latter days, I'm going to gather my people into Israel again, and the, the desert is going to bloom like a rose. And if you've seen any pictures of Israel, if you've been there in the last several years, it is amazing what they have done in these areas that previously were just deserts 
and uh, were non-productive in all, at all, and now they are beautiful. They've got, they grow all kinds of crops. In fact, uh, uh, in Israel, the tomatoes that they grow are 10 times more productive than tomatoes in any other country in the world. And this is because of God's blessing. Why are people coming back to Israel or coming to Israel to live for the first time? God is bringing them back. This is fulfillment of prophecy. He says that when all of this is happening, you will know that I am the Lord. Okay, so this dead nation is coming back to life. Point number two, the divided nation is coming back together. The divided nation is coming back together. Let me begin reading in verse 15. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it. For Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them one to another for yourself into one stick, and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not show us what, these, what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. And the sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. Now we'll stop the reading uh, right there because uh, here is where God is telling Ezekiel what to do. Take two sticks right on one of them, Ephraim on the other, Judah. These sticks represent the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom, Ephraim, the southern kingdom, Judah. And when you have done that, then I want you to put those two sticks together in your hand like this. And that is a picture, that is an emblem, uh, that is a symbol that what I'm going to do in the future is bring those two nations together. That divided kingdom will come back together and be joined together again. So people have said that's impossible, as I mentioned earlier, because who knows who the Jews are today? Well, we may not know who they are, but God knows who they are. And by the way, I meant to mention this earlier. To qualify as a Jew, uh, you only have, to, for purposes of this trip, to live in Israel today, you have to have at least one grandparent who is Jewish. And if you can prove that, then you are deemed a, a Jew for purposes of going back to Israel and living there. So um, the Jewish people have been around a long time. But you know, as you read the Bible, 
you read about other people who were alive during this Old Testament history of Israel, and you don't ever hear about them. You ever hear anything today about the Hittites? Anybody ever heard of the Edomites today? You don't hear about the Edomites. You don't hear about Moabites today. Where are the Moabites? Where are the Hittites? Where are the Ephraimites? Well, you know where they are. I mean, they're going to come together soon. Where are the Edomites? They're gone. We don't know where they are, but where are the Jews? They're still here, aren't they? They're God's people, and God has a particular plan for them. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance, Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 10. In other words, what God began when he called Abraham, Abram, out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said, Abram, I want you to go where I show you. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. God's purpose for the nation of Israel began with Abraham, and he will complete that purpose in his time at some point in the future. The church came along uh, after that. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians chapter 3 and said that the church was not known about in the Old Testament, that it was in the plan of God forever, but it was unknown among the people of God in the Old Testament era, but he's revealed it now in our time, but that did not negate or did not mean that God was through with Israel. He's got a plan for the church. He's got a plan for Israel. They both revolve around the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But just because there's the church and we love the church, we're grateful for the church, we thank God for the church, the church has not replaced Israel. But the Israelites will be saved in the same way that the Gentiles and anybody else is saved. That is, by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. But the Jews are going to come back together and they're going to come back uh, whether they were originally from the southern kingdom or the northern kingdom. And God knows who they are. He knows where they are. And he said in verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be over them all. They shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. So we've seen a dead nation coming back to life, a divided nation coming back together, and thirdly and finally, a distracted nation coming back to God. A distracted nation coming back to God. Let's look at verse 23 now. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all their dwelling places in which they have sinned and will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. David, my servant, will be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my, sta in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, 
and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. All right, let's look at this now. Here God says that when I bring them back in the end times, they're going to know me and people are going to recognize that I'm with them and they will know that I am the Lord. David, my servant, will be king over them. He'll be shepherd over them. He'll be prince over them. Now, when he says here, verse 23, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols. In chapter 36, let me give you the reference if you'd like to write it down. Chapter 36 of Ezekiel, verse 18, God said there were two basic terrible sins that uh, his people had committed that caused them to be carried away into exile. The first one was violence and bloodshed. The second one was idolatry. That's Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 18. But now when we get to this part of Ezekiel 37... He says, they shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. I will deliver them from the places where they've sinned, and I will cleanse them. Then they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I believe the first part that we've talked about tonight, point number one in your outline, is happening right now. I believe God is fulfilling that prophecy of bringing the Israelite people back to Israel right now. Now, the second part of it, where we see the divided nation coming back together, I believe also that that's part of it, because we don't know of these Jews who are coming back, which ones descended from the 10 northern tribes and when ones, which ones descended from Judah or Benjamin, but God does. And so he's bringing them back together as one Nation, And I find it extremely interesting also that when Israel was constituted as a nation in 1948, before that, they were just dispersed everywhere. But before that, they were a kingdom. They'd always had a king. Well, not always. But when they first got a king, they were a kingdom ever since that time. And as you look around the Middle East today, Most all of the countries in the Middle East are kingdoms. They have kings, but not Israel. When Israel constituted as a nation, they did not become a kingdom. They became a democracy. You know why that is? Because Israel only has one lasting king, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to come one day and take his rightful throne over Israel and be their king and their Lord forever and ever. And when it says here in verse 24, David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall, have, they shall all have one shepherd. I believe that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. When the angel came, angel Gabriel came, and announced the birth of Jesus to Mary, he said that Jesus, who would, that she would give birth to, would sit on the throne of David forever. And so I believe he is referring here, Ezekiel is referring here to David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both prince 
and king and shepherd, he fulfills all of those roles. Now, as I said earlier, God has a plan and purpose for the church, and God has a plan and purpose for Israel as well. Now, we'll all be together in heaven. There's not going to be a Jewish heaven and a Gentile heaven or a heaven for uh, people of Jewish extraction, uh, uh, part of the Jewish nation, and uh, people who are part of the church. They're just going to be all together, and it'll be glorious and wonderful and powerful and majestic and all of those marvelous ways we think about, and, and uh, it'll be even better than we can think about, about heaven. But, but what he is saying here in Ezekiel is this, that there's going to be a realization that when my people are coming together and I put my spirit in them, they will live righteous lives. That is not true today. Even for those of us who are saved, we desire to live righteous lives. And in Christ, we are accepted in the beloved and we are, uh, we are righteous in Jesus. But we don't live righteous all the time. Sometimes we sin. Sometimes we have sinful attitudes. But one day, we and all who are redeemed will say goodbye to all of that and uh, we'll be living totally righteous lives where he wrote here, will not defile themselves anymore uh, and, and there will be no more sin. And so we see that fulfilled in Revelation chapter 21. And we looked at this last week, but it's, it's such a marvelous verse. I want to read it again. And as you compare this to what Ezekiel wrote as the Holy Spirit inspired him there at the end of chapter 37 about my, my tabernacle, I will be among them. They will be my people and I will be their God. You find that in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. So we're talking tonight about Israel in the last days. And in the last days, what we are seeing even now, the fulfillment of prophecy. Isn't it great to be living in a time when God is fulfilling prophecy? Before our very eyes, a dead nation is coming to life. A divided nation is coming together. And one day, one day we're going to see the glorious reality that a distracted nation is coming back to God. The veil right now is over the eyes of the Jews. But one day, that'll be lifted. And it's lifted now in Jesus. For any Jew who comes to Christ as Lord and Savior, that veil is lifted. In the same way a Jew gets saved, is the way a Gentile gets saved. And that's by kneeling at the cross of Jesus, pleading the blood of Jesus, confessing our sin, receiving him as Lord, believing that he died and rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is alive forevermore. He's coming again one day in power and great glory. And 
we're going to see him face to face. 